Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello and welcome to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. I'm John. And I'm Stephanie. And I think we know what we're going to be talking about this week. I think we could do the tube. We did a tube a lot. We talked about trains. We could talk about um, only street furniture or what? This is how you know that John is a native Londoner, because even though we are recording this the day after a terrorist attack on Westminster Palace, he's still going, but ticket barriers, I have some thoughts. <laughs> but it wasn't, I mean... <laughs> OK, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the stoicism of, of London, these events, you know, the keep calm and carry on thing, and, you know, like, we don't, you know, when the... When, when the shit hits the fan, London goes to the pub, that kind of stuff. But it is, and you know, I know this is probably actually quite a universal thing and it's it's probably patronising to pretend this is something specific to the British character or London or whatever it is. But it is kind of true. Everyone's unfazed by it. Like, this, these are my main memories of 7-7 of, uh, in, in 2005, which was, you know, a much bigger incident in which, you know, 50 50 or 56 it was something like that there was a, there was a much much higher death toll um and once the sort of immediate shock passed and you kind of established that you didn't know anyone who was dead everyone just kind of went oh well let's, let's go get a drink then you know it's like we you know i remember there being picnics in soho square because the tube was down so everyone just got like some some bottles and some sandwiches and went and sat in the wing you know and that's just it just doesn't feel like i mean there, there is a danger of overstating it and it turning out that one of our listeners has just lost someone, I don't know, one of the nearest and dearest or something. But I just don't feel like it's quite as big a deal as the media is perhaps trying to make it. I think the difficult thing is it's always going to be split, isn't it? Because even if you don't know anyone involved, you have that feeling of just kind of immense sorrow for people who do know someone who's involved and how terrible that must be to have somebody not come home. And yet, equally, I think there is something in most big cities um, where you go, nothing is to be gained from me not behaving normally in the face of this. And actually, I think there is something of a self-conscious spirit of resilience in that people go, obviously, I'm going to get up and go to work the next day. I'm not allowed to take a day off just because a terrorist attack happens in my city. But there is also a, a point of pride in going, your aim is to disrupt the regular way of life and we utterly reject that i mean i think to an extent this is a function of even 
7-7 was not that huge an attack. Like, it was an order of magnitude smaller than the Madrid bombings in 2004. And and that was an order of magnitude smaller than something like 9-11. So by the time you get to uh, an attack in the city with, you know, with a death toll running into thousands, that's huge. And that is going to be traumatic because, you know, you, even if you haven't lost someone, you will probably know someone who has. Or it's, you know, it's just likely enough that it's going to, it's going to hurt. Whereas when it's a dozen people... It, you know, people die in this city every day. It's a big city. You know? Yeah, although I think there's something symbolically quite upsetting for people, especially something like Westminster Bridge, where people all over the world may have visited it or have photos of their loved ones there. And obviously that's partially why you pick that target, mm-hmm. is that you know that you're doing something more than just ending individual lives. You're making a statement about what you're doing. It's one of those places everyone has been at some point, right? It's You, you will have been to Westminster Bridge if you live in London. Right, and it was also, as Stephen Bush put it in his Morning Call email, one of the most covered terrorist attacks ever because it took place outside the window of the press offices at the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> so, you know, very quickly its impact spread. You had a lot of journalists covering it straight away. And I think... Those of us who are journalists or who do work in central London or know people who do, you do have a sense of connectedness to it as a landmark and as a place where your colleagues are down there every day and things like that. Um, And I think something of that resonance does break through to the wider world in that it's the mother of all parliaments. It's it's known worldwide as a symbol. I don't know. I worry we overstate that. I don't. I don't think the whole world looks at us as this is a beacon of democracy. I think that's a sort of self-flattering <laughs> lie we tell about ourselves. No, no, not, we, not, we, not, we, not we still necessarily. have like a queen and you know an unelected second chamber and you know yeah, yeah, but but I, but I also don't think we should you know project cynicism into into people around okay, the world. Okay. I think there are people to whom, even if you don't kind of go, gosh, I so admire the British Parliament. They know what it is in the way that you might not be able to visualise the Canadian Parliament building. Obviously, you can. It's the great one that they weed all over. Is that I right? Can't. I can't. No, with the copper roof? Maybe. No. I don't know. Someone write in and tell me if I'm wrong. I have a feeling it has a copper roof and they urinated on it to make it oxidise faster. There's a building in... Anyway. <laughs> I'm getting off the point. I'm um, looking but... forward to a City Metric Post headline. 17 buildings someone pissed on. Yeah, no, it's really fascinating. There's 17 buildings that you don't realise are oxidised, because this I love about the house, the Statue of Liberty, that obviously it didn't always look like... Oh, it wasn't well, always green, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but coming back to the point, there is that, you know, obviously the mother of all parliaments, I'm kind of putting in inverted quotation marks, but it is known um, through positive means or otherwise. Okay, here's a fact we don't talk about very often, and which I'm slightly concerned is tempting fate by even mentioning it. But as far as I can tell, this is the longest, it's been 12 years now, this is the longest gap between bombings in London in decades, possibly a century or more. Yeah, that sounds like it might be, yeah, yeah. Because, like, I mean, there's... (laughs) Is there some wood I can touch in this room? (laughs) But no, I, I, someone pointed this out to me, um, Matt, Matt Brown, the former editor of, of Londonist, pointed this out to me a while ago, and he didn't want to write an article on it for, you know, exactly. <laughs> this, yeah, because once you write the article, the next day is when something explodes. But it, it is quite interesting. Like, if you look at the, there is a, there is a, a page on Wikipedia of, you know, terrorist attacks on London, and there's a lot of them. Like, there is a period in the mid 70s where the IRA are letting off six or seven bombs a year. 
And now I, I think you can oversimplify it with kind of reading across from this to London's stoicism in the face of these things these days. But at the same time, I think there is some truth in the idea that, you know, it's, it is kind of something that everyone knows has always been part of the city's history. And I guess this is what I'm trying to get at in that on the one hand you go, oh my God, please stop talking about blitz spirit and putting crowns on things. I, I, object to it on an instinctual level and then on the other hand I go actually if you live in a city where you see war memorials all around you and you spot the places that were bombed and you see the housing blocks that stop at odd right angles because actually the house that was at the end of the terrace is obliterated you live in a city that has a sense of endurance and maybe there is something to be said for that yeah no I think there's some some truth to that I think it's I, I I think it is less of a shock when stuff does happen, when there is visible evidence around of stuff having happened in the past. And having been survived in the past. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's one of those things where I think the best revenge Londoners love to indulge in is, you know, going straight back to having a moan about pret sandwiches. Oh, Greg's. We could do Greg's. <laughs> okay, so here's something else I learned from that page of, uh, of uh, the Wikipedia page of past terrorist attacks on London. In the early 1980s, there was a Scottish liberation organisation that kept sending letter bombs to London in an attempt to get independence for Scotland. Wow. And not one of them ever worked. Like, it's like, it, there's like four or five of these things across a period of about two and a half years, and like every one of them includes the phrase, made safe. But they just kept sending letter bombs everywhere. It's quite, you know, it's... I thought the Scots were good at inventing things. I mean, you'd think, but it turns out that... <laughs> I mean, may, may, maybe the Scots Liberation Army, or whatever it was they called themselves, wasn't attracting the, the best and the brightest of the, the Scottish population. Maybe, maybe. Of course, you know... Now we have a very different independence conversation going on. Thankfully, bomb-free yeah. so far. Um, we we touched on on the Manchester bomb last week, but I think that's a really interesting one because it's it is it was a huge explosion, but it is seen as this kind of I don't want to say positive moment, but it is kind of this sort of pivotal moment in the city's history, which does allow it to do a lot of the positive things that have happened since. And I find that quite an interesting dynamic. Are you trying to goad me over that meme that's going around Twitter? Is this what we're heading towards? I don't know this meme. Tell me the meme. Stop smiling. You know you've seen I know I meme. genuinely don't know them. No, I'm smiling because I've, I've accidentally goaded you and that does give me pleasure, but I don't know how I've done it. So. Oh, okay. Well, um, first of all, to address address your point, yeah. I mean, I think I think the fact that, you know... There wasn't big casualties from it. It wasn't. It was a scary moment. I, I remember it very distinctly. But it, a, it. A friend tells me he was literally driving into the city at the time and saw what looked like a mushroom cloud, and, mm. and panicked. And it was. It took half a second for him to think. No, hang on. If that was an actual mushroom cloud, I would not be here to see it. Yeah. <laughs> he thought somebody had nuked Manchester. Yeah. Um, no, well, yeah, that would have had a much bigger impact on the city. But I, I think that's it. It's this kind of moment of. Actually, the cost ended up not being huge. You didn't have these. You didn't have this rising death toll. You didn't have this coverage. You just had a moment of going. Actually, the police got people out, and the Arndale Centre was bombed, and you had the image of the city being bombed, but you didn't have the aftermath, and you didn't have the public mourning. So it was it was kind of allowed to do something very different. Um, the meme. Oh my God! I can't believe you've not seen this. So it's a photo of the collapsed half of the Arndale Centre 
with someone's post going, we didn't say anything against Catholics when the IRA were bombing us, therefore let's not indulge in Islamophobia now. So what you're saying is that you're okay with Islamophobia? No, what I'm... (laughs) (laughs) See? Okay, okay. I'm I'm sorry, that was was low. No, you're poking me. No, but the the reason I find it so infuriating is not only that, obviously, it's ahistorical, we know that... There's an enormous amount of, you know, prejudice against Catholics and the Irish more generally. We had to pay out money to the Birmingham Six, who were erroneously arrested and kind of treated horribly and we know that and you know um a friend's actually just written to me to say that one of his relatives changed their name during that but you know we know it was a bad time but it's not just that it's not just the kind of glossing over history it's the fact that what we can take away from past instances of xenophobia and hatred is thank god that's over Mm. thank god we mostly don't behave in that way anymore and that's the inspirational message you should take is for God's sake, let us learn our lesson from those pastimes when we behave that way. And I'm not kind of saying that's necessarily equivalent to Islamophobia now, which functions in a specific way and on a specific scale and is kind of globally motivated. Um, and, you know, I, gosh, I just don't envy anyone who has to go out into London today and worry about how they might be treated. I feel incredibly lucky to be kind of anonymous in this city. But for God's sake, the way to combat that is to go, we got this wrong before, let's get it right this time, rather than pretend that we were flawless. Sorry, yeah, Kate. No, I, 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 I think, yeah, I, I get that. And I think there's, I think we also do this with the Blitz to a certain extent. I mean, what we don't often talk about is that during the Blitz, there was also an enormous amount of crime because it was quite easy to nip into someone's house and steal stuff when they were hiding in this metal-plated shed at the bottom of the garden. And, you know, there is a reason that the... um. You know the idea of the spiv, like uh, the the private Walker character in in Dad's Army. Yeah, yeah. But that that comes specifically out of uh, how a certain type of person was behaving during during the, the, the Luftwaffe campaign against buildings in London. Um, but we don't talk about that side of the Blitz because it doesn't fit in with this narrative of national resilience and you know shaking your fist at the bombers as they go past and all that kind of. So yeah, I, I, but I think it's quite a natural thing to kind of look back with sort of rose-tinted glasses on stuff we've survived before and think, you know, we survived that, we can survive this. I think that's true, and I definitely have sympathy, and this is why I've not kind of aggressively tweeted at the person who made this meme or the people sharing it, because I don't want to kind of go, no, your instinct to try and create a positive narrative is wrong right now. But there is something to me that echoes... Think of the situation we have on the left, for instance, where if you say there's anti-Semitism on the left, people go, no, we're the good guys, we couldn't have any anti-Semitism. And what happens is we end up kind of not addressing the anti-Semitism. I think there's somebody who spent some time a couple of summers ago arguing that there was anti-Semitism on the left, I I am aware of this. (laughs) Well, I've argued that there's sexism on the left, but apparently there's not. I've been corrected on that front. It was very very nice of those men to clear that up for you, wasn't it? It is. You know, they're just so generous because I'm never going to know enough. And they always take the time to just make sure I've got the facts right. And I really appreciate it. Can I tell you my mansplainer joke? Is it a meta joke? What? No, it's not a joke. Okay, okay, I'll just tell it to you. Where does a mansplainer get his water? Well, actually... It's from a well, actually. You've just blown the punchline. But yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is me destroying the patriarchy one ruin joke at a time. Can we tell people what happened to your Twitter today? 
I mean, that wasn't... It's just a, a bug on TweetDeck. It's not very exciting, but just, like, for a moment, it told me I had minus one followers. Guys, what happened is John's takes were so bad, he went into negative followers. <laughs> it's not only can nobody read my tweets, but every time I tweet, somebody forgets something I said in the past, so... That's brilliant, because that's kind of the perfect metaphor for the situation with the IRA Catholicism (laughs) No, but quite seriously, I I think there is something about we are fallible and we can be very cruel and we can treat people very badly and I think going, we never behaved that way in the past and it's new makes it harder to tackle it in the present No, I, I agree but I think there is a certain amount of I'm being very careful with my words over this. I think there is a certain amount of positive sentiment out there today. I think people feel a great deal of pride in the diversity of this city, in the resilience of this city, in in the fact that, you know, we have uh, a a brown Muslim mayor on television refusing to answer questions posed by tweets sent by Donald Trump Jr. and, And sending the message, you know, London is open, everyone is welcome here. We are not scared. And I think that's all positive stuff. And okay, there is a certain amount of self-congratulation and myth involved. But I would rather we deluded ourselves about things that are actually good rather than, like, everything is going to be fine after Brexit, which is not a good thing. And actually is going to... That's the thing that's really going to send us down this path of post-imperial nostalgia and bitterness is this idea that we don't have to work with our partners. I don't think diversity is a problem. I don't think resilience is a problem. I think thinking you're better than everyone else is a problem. Yes, which I suppose is the other side of the same coin. Stop being dicks about everything, guys. Yeah. Just be good. (laughs) This has been quite a serious episode. Who knew that a terrorist attack would be such a serious business? (laughs) I will say, though, I got to Cannon Street this morning and still, you know, for all that London has risen Phoenix-like from the ashes over and over again, there was still a load of people who didn't get their sodding Oyster card out until they were already stood between the barriers. My my first thought on what to say to that would have been really offensive, so I'm not going to do that. Good, good. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. 
Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.